0: See it, find it, Autotrader. Hello there, it's me, Josh, and for this week's SYSK Selects, I've chosen our classic episode on lie detectors. It's a pretty nifty little episode about a pretty dodgy piece of forensic science with a wow of a backstory. It is classic stuff you should know. So I hope you enjoy.
1: Welcome to Stuff You Should Know, a production of iHeartRadio's How Stuff Works.
0: Hey, and welcome to the podcast. I'm Josh Clark. With me, as always, is Charles W. Chuck Bryant. Liar. <laughs> you, you could tell. There's ways you could find out, Chuck. Sure. Um, we'll get to that in a minute. This is Stuff You Should Know. Let me finish. Okay. And it's You Lie. Remember that guy? Oh yeah, <laughs> Joe uh, Joey Pants or whatever the congressman's name was. Yeah, Saturday Night Live Joe had a,
2: a funny skit that he had gotten a whole group of people to all stand up at once. Wasn't yeah. that the deal? Yeah, tell it. And well, yeah, and he he supposedly had a whole group of senators that were going to all stand up and yell "You lie," mm-hmm. and then <laughs> he was the only one that did it.
0: Yeah, that's that's because he was out of the room when they were like, "No, we can't do that." Yeah, Let's I think just that not was it. That. <laughs> that was funny. Yeah, so. um... Oh, we're, we're talking about lie detectors, but let me take you back. All right. To a little place in time and space called the Jazz Age, early 1920s. Yeah? No, that's the beat that did that. Oh, okay. Um, I'm sure a jazz person snapped their fingers at one point. Sure. Okay. Um, but not like that. All right. It was more like... <laughs> like Coltrane style? Just like that. Gotcha. Uh, anyway, this is 1921. Chuck in Berkeley, California, at UCLA Berkeley, and there is a place there called um, the College Hall, which was a women's dorm. And in that year, there were a theft, a string of there was a string of um, thefts, cash, rings, um, pretty much anything of value went missing for a little while there. And uh, there was a man working at the Berkeley Police Department. This is in the girls' dorm? Yeah. Okay. Called College Hall. Gotcha. Uh, there was a man working in the, in the Berkeley Police Department. His name was John Larson. And John Larson was the first cop ever to have a Ph.D. And he had gotten interested in this device called a psychograph, which had been invented just a few years before by another guy named William Marston. And William Marston was a lawyer and a Harvard shrink. And he also, as an aside, uh, created Wonder Woman with her lasso of truth. Really? He's the guy who invented the what's now called the polygraph. But yeah. what about the Wonder Woman? He created Wonder Woman? <laughs> yeah. The character? Yes. He huh. was kind of a renaissance man. But that's William Marston. John Larson works at the at the Berkeley Police Department, and he's become interested in this thing, the cardio pneumo psychograph. Mm-hmm. And he realizes, okay, this is a perfect chance to apply it. So he rounds up, you know, some suspects. He does some some normal police work and finds out who the suspects are in this in this hall. Right. And he rounds them up, brings them down to the station, and he starts hooking people up to this um this machine. And he gets to this one woman. Uh, her name is Helen Graham, and it, Guilty. Yes, pretty much is what he does. He goes, uh, Ms. Graham, this machine is saying that, you're, that you took this, that you, you took the money, You know, did you? Um, and he said that he noted on the machine a sharp drop in blood pressure mm-hmm. followed by a sudden rise, and then after that, this woman flew into a rage. She tried to attack the machine. Really? She went crazy. <laughs> so they, uh, they, they basically string her along for a few days, and then finally she confesses. And it's the first time that a polygraph was ever used to to, to um, solve a crime, ever.
2: Uh, that, that was probably the heyday, because before the me- people knew what it was, they could just say, this machine says that you're guilty. And they would be like,
0: oh my God, how that does is, it know? That's exactly right. Yeah. Um, very early on, some of the early proponents, specifically a guy named uh, Leonard Keeler, um, recognized the placebo effect value. Before anyone knew there was a placebo effect, but the placebo effect value of a polygraph. Yeah, that just the idea. If you believed in this machine mm-hmm. and that it could root out lies, then it could force you to confess. Just being hooked up to it, right? You weren't going to pass it. They should have called it the guilt box. They called it the magic uh, lie detector. Is one of the one of the things really? that they called it. Yeah, Leonard Keeler called it that. He worked um, with John Larson at the Berkeley Police Department, and eventually, over time, John Larson saw. The, what he considered the truth behind the lie detector and the fact that it kept being called lie detector, which is driving him crazy. Yeah, sure. Um, and he eventually distanced himself from it uh, later on in his career. Um, but Leonard Keeler ran around marketing it to anyone and everyone saying just having this right. is going to not only help you hire um, more uh, more truthful, forthright people – But it's going to keep them in line while they're working for you because they know you've got access to this thing and you can strap them to it at any time. Wow. Yep. So that's where the polygraph came from. Yeah, there's a little
2: prehistory too, just to give them their due. Yeah. Uh, In 1895, uh, Cesare Lombroso, he's an Italian criminologist. He measured changes in blood pressure for police cases. Okay. And in 1904, a device by Vittorio Benossi Mm -hmm. uh, measured breathing and uh, so they were early 1900s, late 1800s. They were kind of on the scene of, of measuring these things. And uh, Dr. James McKenzie in 1906 first mentioned the word polygraph yeah. with his instrument that he didn't use to root out uh, the truth,
0: but for uh, he did use it when giving medical examinations. Though. And then right before the polygraph was the unigraph. Unigraph? Which was part of what's still used today in the polygraph. Um, it measured uh, respiration. Pretty cool. Yeah. Um, but then you add to it a couple of other things, and you got the polygraph. We could stop here. This is interesting enough right now. So there's no—really? Uh, th- no. There's no, um, no one walking the planet who has anything to do with polygraphs that call them lie detectors. And anyone, even the most ardent defender of polygraph technology— would correct you if you yeah. called it a lie detector. They would be like, "It's it's not a lie detector because you can't detect a lie. It's no. impossible." The whole basis of a polygraph is that it is a set of um, medical instruments that you use to measure changes in things like your heart rate, uh, your respiration, um, and sweatiness. Basically, yeah, I would fail. Um, well, a lot of people do fail, and we'll get to that. But um, oh, because of your sweat. Oh yeah. Yes. okay. You they wouldn't they
2: would even hook me up. They'd
0: just be like, dude. Yeah, you look so good. Yeah, vocal. you're so sweaty right now. Um, so w- when you're hooked up to this machine, the whole point is that it measures these physiological changes and the idea that you're going to undergo a physiological change is based on the concept that a person hooked to this machine who is guilty will experience fear that they're going to be detected. Right. So this machine is designed to detect that fear. That's right. Which is really roundabout, but for a century almost, yeah. these things were used um, and abused, and it <laughs> took a while for people to kind of catch on that there's a lot to criticize here with polygraphs. Yeah, for sure. Hey, everybody. Do you love hosting gatherings? And you thought to yourself, what is the most interesting conversation piece I can put on my bar? Well, don't answer yet because we've got the answer for you. It's called Bartesian.
3: That's right. Bartesian creates bar quality cocktails on demand, providing an effortless way to enjoy and serve premium cocktails at home with the touch of a button.
0: That's right. Each cocktail capsule has been mixologist-designed with your taste in mind. They're made with real juices, extracts, and bitters, and no artificial colors or ingredients. And they work with your preferred spirits brands.
3: That's right. All you have to do is insert your capsule into your Bartesian, select your preferred strength, from mocktail, light, regular, or strong, and enjoy a perfectly crafted cocktail in under 30 seconds.
0: Plus, there's a lot to choose from. Bartesian offers over 60 cocktails with new releases and limited season varieties throughout the year. Plus, you can set up a subscription so that you always have great cocktails on hand.
3: So order your Bartesian today at bartesian.com slash cocktail. That's B-A-R-T-E-S-I-A-N dot com slash cocktail.
1: Smooth frown lines with Daxify, the only peptide-powered frown line treatment. Chosen as one of Time Magazine's best inventions of 2023, it's the first innovation of its kind in over 20 years. Daxify is the only frown line treatment powered by a novel peptide. Come see why everyone is talking about the Daxify look and why beauty lovers choose Daxify. To learn more about Daxify, visit Daxify.com. The effects of Daxify may spread hours to weeks after injection, causing serious symptoms. Tell your provider right away if you have problems swallowing, speaking, or breathing, eye problems, or muscle weakness, as these can be signs of a life-threatening condition. Do not receive Daxify if you have a skin infection or are allergic to botulinum toxin products. Tell your doctor about your medical conditions, including any muscle or nerve conditions, and all medicines, including any side effects from botulinum toxins, as they may increase the risk of serious side effects. These are not all the possible side effects of Daxify. For more information, visit Daxify.com. Talk to your doctor or call 1-877-798-6243. To learn more about Daxify, visit Daxify.com.
2: All right, so let's get into this. Um, First of all, we need to point out that analog polygraphs are what you have long seen in movies Mm -hmm. and TV when they have the little jittery, uh, looks like a seismograph on the mm-hmm. on the paper scrolling by, and uh, you're hooked up to all these different things on your chest and your forehead and your fingertips. Yep. These days, they do that digitally, but it's basically still the same technique. Yeah. They just don't use the little scrolling uh, needle. Do they have a name for that? I'm sure it's they do. It's called
0: an ink-filled pen. It is? Yeah. <laughs>
2: okay. Uh, but the three things that they do, Josh, uh, they measure your respiratory rate. As you said, they take pneumographs, which are rubber tubes filled with air, uh, time around your chest and your abdomen, and that is going to measure whether or not you're, you know, you start breathing heavy essentially when you right. get nervous.
0: It monitors your breathing pattern and any changes to it, and it does it pretty cleverly, right? Yeah, with bellows, it, it uh, they're filled with air, so when you when you
2: breathe in real deeply or have a change, it's going to displace that into the bellows. And that will uh, originally that was attached. The bellows were literally attached to the mechanical arm, right? That showed the change. These days, is a, it's a transducer that converts it uh, digitally, electronically.
0: Right. It converts it to an electrical pattern. Right. Yeah, that probably but just it's says Why? virtually the same thing. Yeah. Um, no, I think it looks a lot like it. If you look, there's a picture of a modern one, and the graph. It's the same thing. It's it looks just, just like it, but yeah, it's yeah. not. A, it's not a paper readout any longer. Right. Which is kind of interesting. Like, this technology hasn't hasn't changed on a very fundamental basis for, like, 100 years almost.
2: Yeah, I mean, the, the early one from McKinsey in 1906, they say that a lot of the same components are still very similar today.
0: Right. Um, you also are going to have—so you're going to have two tubes, one around your chest, one around your abdomen. That's, yes. That's um, keeping an eye on your breathing. Yes. Um, you're going to have a blood pressure cuff, which— um, which keeps an eye on your heart rate and your blood pressure. And it does it through sound, right? Yeah, I didn't realize this. So when you're, when the blood comes in and out of your veins, it creates sound, and sound uh, can also be used to displace air, uh, causing a bellows to contract, mm-hmm. which, again, moved the arm on the uh, scroll and now is created it, or turned into an electrical pattern. Yeah. Um, but it's the same thing. But it's sound, which I just think is very neat.
2: Well, and what's also neat is the sweat one. I figured they would have some sort of like a moisturometer just to detect moisture. But uh, it's called uh, galvanic skin resistance or GSR.
0: Or electrodermal activity.
2: That's right. And they hook up these finger plates to galvanometers, and they are basically measuring the skin's ability to conduct electricity. Mm -hmm. And if your skin is moist, it's going to be able to conduct electricity easier. Yes. And that's what they're measuring there.
0: It's like the ones, uh, the the little um, heart rate monitors that they, they clip to your fingertips in the hospital. But these things measure electricity instead. Yes. Uh, which, if you are dry, you're going to conduct less electricity. Yeah. If you're wet, you're going to conduct more. So, since you have so many pores on the end of your fingers and you sweat when you're nervous, there you go. Done. So... You put all this together, and um, it paints this picture. It's the ACLU, among other people, have decried as just what are you doing here, basically is what the ACLU says, right? Um, what, what you have is a picture of a person who is undergoing stress, mm-hmm. maybe feeling embarrassment, is maybe just scared to be there, uh, maybe doesn't like having things wrapped around his or her chest. Yeah. Um, maybe doesn't really like the uh, the person asking the questions. Yeah. The results of these these um, changes in pattern, the data is totally subjective. That's right. Which makes polygraphs totally subjective, which takes it in large part out of the realm of science.
2: Yeah. Voodoo science is what they call it. And, uh, Although proponents will say that a a, a well-trained forensic uh, psychophysiologist, which is the examiner, can get through all that to still get a good result. They're like, yeah, they know all this stuff. And if you're good, then you
0: can factor that in and still get a good result. So let's talk about what the forensic psychophysiologist does. There's Apparently, I've seen anywhere between 5,000 and 10,000 of them in the U.S. at any given time. Yeah. Um, And... Some of them belong to professional organizations. I think probably maybe half or a third, depending on where you are on, the, on that estimate, right? Um, belong to uh, any number of professional organizations. Some have no accreditation whatsoever um, but are still able to open up shops depending on the state they're in. Some states have zero laws about being a forensic psychophysiologist, a.k.a. a polygraph examiner. That's right. But there is also some. There are programs out there. Uh, the, uh, who wrote this article? Kevin Bonzer. I don't know. I think so. He he um, interviewed a guy who founded the Axodon Academy. Exodon is a manufacturer of polygraphs, right? And they founded this academy as well, where um, you go through a certain amount of training to become a forensic psychophysiologist. And he actually interviewed that guy. Yeah, his name's Bob Lee. That's Lee. Lee. Uh, And Lee says that if you come to their academy, um, you have to have a a baccalaureate degree, a bachelor's, right? Or you have to have at least five years investigative experience and an associate's degree. Um, You have to take a 10-week course. And after you complete the 10-week course, you have to carry out 25 polygraph examinations and submit them to be reviewed, uh, so these are like real-life ones. I guess you're working with your local police department or whatever. Maybe you're already a cop. Um, and you have to submit it to the uh, Accident Academy board for a review. And then once they're all reviewed and everybody's all thumbs up, you are a licensed, I guess. But you're not licensed because there's no licensing body. Yeah. Um, you are. You graduate, I guess is is what they call it. Right. So that's... As accredited as it gets, I guess. And like you said, um, uh, proponents of polygraph testing say that if you're a good FP, you're going to be able to structure everything correctly so that you can see past somebody who sweats a lot like you or who gets stressed out easily like me um, and design your questions appropriately and you're going to be able to, to, to figure out whether this person is deceptive or not. Yeah. So how how would you do that Chuck? Uh, well, we should talk about the test itself I guess.
2: Uh, you're going to you're going to go in and you're going to get a pretest before you get strapped up to anything. Right. Could take about an hour. This is just you and those are the only two people in the room. You're not surrounded by folks like in the movies and stuff. Yeah. Although in the movie sometimes it's just two people I guess. But uh the pretest, you're just going to get an interview basically about basically about why you're being investigated. Uh, they're also going to be profiling you and checking you out and just seeing what kind of questions you respond to and what might make you nervous just so they'll be better informed about how to properly question you once you're all strapped in.
0: Right, and the uh pretest when you're just kind of hanging out with them casually, the examiner is also kind of getting uh, info out of you that you might not be aware of. Like um, if you are uh, – if you talk – Leisurely about your favorite beer at one point and how you like it a lot, and then later on it also comes up that you have to drive a lot. Um, they might come up with a they might use that for a control question, um, which could be something like, "Have you ever driven under the influence of alcohol and a control question is something where you would have to admit guilt. Um, and you may not want to, but it's such a broad question that just about anybody is guilty of it. Like, have you ever lied to somebody? Have you ever um, stolen anything? That kind of thing. So where if you say no, they now have a baseline for what it looks like when you lie. That they can make a reasonable assumption that you have just lied, and any of the data um, captured on the polygraph, they're going to use to analyze everything else off of.
2: And That's pretty much it. That's the test, and afterward you have the post-test where they look at all the data and chart out whether or not they think you're deceptive and where. Like on this question, you were deceptive. On this
0: question, you may have been deceptive. It's kind of hard to tell. On this one, you definitely were deceptive. So, so and it's all in it's all in relation to that control question, that baseline, right? Yeah. So if you if your deception, if you if on questions where I mean, they're going to have to talk to the police as well, too, and say, what do you want to know out of this person? So they'll design questions around that as well. Um, So they may have a question like, um, are you wearing a blue shirt? That may be question one. That's irrelevant, right? Right. Question two is, um, have you ever lied to your boss? That's the control question. And then question three is something like, you know, did you steal the cookie from the cookie jar? Like, that's the one that the cops want them to ask. Right. They'll compare the results of Q... Three against Q two, and if they're the same, or you can't really tell, that's an uh, in that's an uh, inconclusive test, right? So that's it. I mean, like you said, that's that's polygraph. Hey, everybody. Do you love hosting gatherings? And you thought to yourself, what is the most interesting conversation piece I can put on my bar? Well, don't answer yet because we've got the answer for you. It's called Bartesian.
3: That's right. Bartesian creates bar quality cocktails on demand, providing an effortless way to enjoy and serve premium cocktails at home with the touch of a button.
0: That's right. Each cocktail capsule has been mixologist-designed with your taste in mind. They're made with real juices, extracts, and bitters, and no artificial colors or ingredients. And they work with your preferred spirits brands.
3: That's right. All you have to do is insert your capsule into your Bartesian, select your preferred strength from mocktail, light, regular, or strong, and enjoy a perfectly crafted cocktail in under 30 seconds.
0: Plus, there's a lot to choose from. Bartesian offers over 60 cocktails with new releases and limited season varieties throughout the year. Plus, you can set up a subscription so that you always have great cocktails on hand.
3: So order your Bartesian today at bartesian.com slash cocktail. That's B-A-R-T-E-S-I-A-N dot com slash cocktail.
1: Smooth frown lines with Daxify, the only peptide-powered frown line treatment chosen as one of time magazine's best inventions of 2023 it's the first innovation of its kind in over 20 years daxify is the only frown line treatment powered by a novel peptide come see why everyone is talking about the daxify look and why beauty lovers choose daxify to learn more about daxify visit daxify.com the effects of daxify may spread hours to weeks after injection causing serious symptoms Tell your provider right away if you have problems swallowing, speaking, or breathing, eye problems, or muscle weakness, as these can be signs of a life-threatening condition. Do not receive Daxify if you have a skin infection or are allergic to botulinum toxin products. Tell your doctor about your medical conditions, including any muscle or nerve conditions, and all medicines, including any side effects from botulinum toxins, as they may increase the risk of serious side effects. These are not all the possible side effects of Daxify. For more information, visit Daxify.com. Talk to your doctor or call one 877 798 6243 To learn more about Daxify, visit Daxify.com. It's
0: pretty easy. It is. It's uh it's um jarringly easy considering that it's used in legal cases a lot, right? Uh yes, that's true. Um people try to to Battle the uh, lie
2: detector in various ways. There are little tricks that the internet says works, like taking a sedative or putting antiperspirant on your fingers, uh, which it seems like they would make you wash your hands. Uh, putting a tack in your shoe. Mm-hmm. And anytime you get asked a question, every single time you stomp on the tack. And the idea is that you're just going to skew the test so it, they all look the same. Yeah. So your body has the same reaction no matter what's
0: going on. Like they... I guess if you press on the tack, your physiological response could overwhelm any response to the question, right? Exactly. Um, like I said, these these things are used in legal cases, but with caveats, right? If you undergo a polygraph, uh, whether you fail or pass, it, it doesn't really matter, legally speaking, right? Um, because of unless you're in New Mexico, yeah, this is the only state that allows it. Just openly, like if you take a polygraph, like it, it's admissible in court. Yeah, Every other state, um, usually the both sides have to agree on it being admitted, or um, the judge has to say, yeah, we're going to admit this one, right?
2: Yeah, and federally, the judge decides uh, whether or not they're going to admit it.
0: Right, and I guess state judges kind of follow that federal ruling of polygraphing.
2: Yeah, and it's sort of a crapshoot if a federal judge is going to allow it or not. There's no precedent really to where they say we have to or we don't have to.
0: Right. So what are the problems with this? Um the the problems with a polygraph um are that it's subjective, right? That's a big one. hmm But also because they're um because it's subjective you can get what are called false positives and false negatives.
2: Yeah. And you don't want that because then the test itself is just not valid.
0: Right. Uh, but I mean that a lot of people use that as evidence that polygraph polygraphy
2: shouldn't be done at all, it,
0: that it's not valid. Yeah. Uh, false positive in, in, uh, polygraphing is, uh, when you find somebody who is deemed deceptive, but was telling the truth. False negative is when somebody who wasn't telling the truth, um, is deemed truthful. Right. Like Gary Ridgway, the Green River killer. Mm-hmm. They had him for a little while and gave him a polygraph and he passed and they let him go and he went and killed a bunch more women. All right? That's right. I didn't know that actually. Yeah. Uh,
2: there's also the, uh, you know, the federal government is the largest uh, consumer of these exams. And if you work for the federal government, you've probably had one to get the job. Uh, but you can't do that in the private sector thanks to the polygraph. Protection Act, Employee Polygraph Protection Act in the late 80s. They said you can't force your employees to do this. You can request it, but if they don't want to do it, you can't fire them because of it. You just can't do it. Right. Not in private land.
0: Right. Unless you have a contract with the government and then that's not valid. Right. But yeah, the the federal government is the largest opponent to them in court, but also the largest consumer. Imagine that. Um and there's been a lot of cases that shaped its admissibility or not, but the polygraph, it seems like, is kind of on its way out. I wrote an article about um, MRI being used as lie detectors. Oh, really? And that's starting to kind of come into fashion the more we start to understand, like, how lies are born in the brain. Yeah. Being able to see it and saying, this is the pattern that will happen Um if this person's lying and then that pattern happens, they say, well, we know you're lying. We just saw that lie form in your brain. That makes sense. Yes, but at the same time, people who understand MRIs say it is way too early to be doing that. And even if we can do it with 100% accuracy, there are a lot of moral and ethical questions to it as well that right. we need to address first. Always. Uh, and then penile plasmography. What's that? So remember the the um, pneumographs that go around the chest and the abdomen? Mm-hmm. Imagine one of those that goes around the penis, and it does the same thing. It detects changes in girth? contraction and girth. <laughs> That's a perfect way to put it. Yeah, wow. Um, and it's used to detect arousal. They use it for um, sex offenders. It's under at least as much attack as regular... <laughs> Um, polygraphs, but there, I wrote this blog post called um, Using Science to Root Out Latent Homosexuality Among Homophobes. Yeah. A study at UGA used uh, penile plesmo- plethysmography um, to find if anyone who they had deemed homophobic became aroused when exposed to homosexual pornography. Wow. Yeah, it's, it's one of the better posts I've ever written. I Jeez. Think. All right, that's our future, I guess. Penile plethysmography for everyone. <laughs> Maybe. Um, for
2: everyone then, with a penis, at least.
0: And then, Chuck, lastly, I want to encourage everybody, if this has piqued your interest about lie detectors, mm-hmm. to go watch the uh, Shoe Court Shoe Store job interview clip from Mr. Show on YouTube. Oh, yeah. You remember that one? Mm-hmm. That was very good. With our friend Paul F. Tompkins in it. He has a, uh, a breakthrough. Thanks oh, was he in that one? It. Yeah. Yeah. Good old PFT. Yep. And that's it for lie detectors, right? Yeah, I want to take a test. If there's
2: someone in the Atlanta area that administers these and would be willing to give me a lie detector test, I would love to do that. Okay. And I'll watch. Yes. Um, as long as I can, you know, approve the questions. Yes. Or not approve them, but I don't want to be, like, rooted out as some miscreant.
0: It's a little late for that, Chuck. Just keep it above board. Um, if you want to know more about lie detectors and play with some lie detector flash animation, you can do that by typing in lie detector on the, in the search bar on howstuffworks.com. And um, th- that means it's time for listener mail.
2: That's right, Josh. This is from Brad. And Brad, if you remember, we had a list of suggestions from uh, a listener not too long ago that thought our podcast could be a lot better if we changed a few things. Brad has some suggestions of his own of how we can make the podcast better. Uh, we should both have nicknames. We that do. Zazz up the actual name, like Welcome to Stuff You Should Know with JC and the Dingo. <laughs> Sit back while getting a big helping of knowledge from Chucko and the Duck. Uh, I second the suggestion to remove the personal anecdotes. Should be moved to a separate podcast called The Josh and Chuck Memoirs. <laughs> Daily one-hour podcast can recount your lives from birth to present focusing on depressing stories that are marginally factual. It's in development. (laughs) It is. Uh, Chuck, please uh, raise your voice one octave. Josh, lower yours one octave. What? Okay, so now this is how I talk. I talk like (laughs) this. The opening of the podcast should be a description of what each of you ate that day and the number of trips to the bathroom.
0: Seven.
2: This allows the listener to keep track at home. Uh, Hedgehogs, brain surgeons, arcades, and Bolivian politics... Are underrated, under, sorry, underrepresented on your podcast. At least 20% should be about these subjects. Uh, do not exclude listener mail. Instead, create a quieter audio track reading the listener mail and overlay it on the rest of the podcast. That way, <laughs> listeners can hear both the mail and the main content at the same time.
0: That's a pretty good idea. Why not set I think the podcast? We would <laughs> literally drive people insane <laughs> if we did that.
2: Why not set the podcast to a backdrop of tribal drums and jungle animal noises? would give it an
0: exotic feel that's over the listener mail track over the whole thing so that'd be three tracks deep (laughs) yes and it would lead to suspense for the
2: listener to wonder if you'll be eaten by jaguars uh and it was clear from the podcast on mummies neither of you had ever been mummified please refrain from explaining topics that you don't have personal experience with (laughs) and then the final suggestion just retell episodes of this american
0: life that, went, that last one went down like the uh, Dave Letterman top <laughs> ten list. So that's Brad. Thanks, Brad. Those are all great ideas. Oh, I in like cheek. three tracks all in one, streaming yeah. at once together. Listener Mail, Quietly, the podcast, and tribal drumming. Yes, and Jungle Noises. <laughs> yes. Um, let's see. If you have access to a polygraph and want to hook Chuck up to it, let us know. Yeah. You can let us know on Facebook at facebook.com/slash stuff you should know. You can tweet to us at S Y S K Podcast. And you can send us a regular old email at stuff podcast at how Stuff
1: you should know is a production of iHeartRadio's How Stuff Works. For more podcasts from iHeartRadio, visit the iHeartRadio app. Apple Podcasts or wherever you listen to your favorite
0: shows. Hey, everybody. Do you love hosting gatherings and you thought to yourself, what is the most interesting conversation piece I can put on my bar? Well, don't answer yet because we've got the answer for you. It's called Bartesian.
3: That's right. Bartesian creates bar quality cocktails on demand, providing an effortless way to enjoy and serve premium cocktails at home with the touch of a button.
0: That's right. Each cocktail capsule has been mixologist-designed with your taste in mind. They're made with real juices, extracts, and bitters, and no artificial colors or ingredients. And they work with your preferred spirits brands.
3: That's right. All you have to do is insert your capsule into your Bartesian, select your preferred strength from mocktail, light, regular, or strong, and enjoy a perfectly crafted cocktail in under 30 seconds.
0: Plus, there's a lot to choose from. Bartesian offers over 60 cocktails with new releases and limited-season varieties throughout the year. Plus, you can set up a subscription so that you always have great cocktails on hand.
3: So order your Bartesian today at bartesian.com slash cocktail. That's B-A-R-T-E-S-I-A-N dot com slash cocktail.
1: Zigazoo has made me zigzag. What I mean by that is I swore I would never let my kids on social media. But now I'm setting them loose on Zigazoo.